The Titans have hired Brian Callahan as their new head coach. We're going to break down Callahan's background, his philosophy, some connections he might have when it comes to building out his staff. Plus, we have a special guest, Bengals expert Joe Goodberry on to tell us more about Callahan. This is the Music City Audible. Let's get to it. We the ones. We the ones they talking about. Broadway Sports Media. Justin and Justin Titans podcast show. Some of it was bad, but hopefully you'll you probably piece something together. Outstanding. There's an earthquake in the middle of the podcast. Unbelievable. We're begging for listeners. That's all we do. We all we got. Hey, Titans on three. One, two, three. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Music City Audible podcast presented by Broadway Sports Media in partnership with 440 Sports. I'm Justin Graver. With me, as always, is Justin Mello. And Justin, is this where you thought we'd be this time on Tuesday morning taping this podcast? Last week, when we were talking through all nine, I'm putting in air quotes, all nine Titans head coach candidates, because, of course, after our last podcast, the Titans went ahead and interviewed two other candidates. So there actually ended up being 11 candidates but Justin, is this where you thought we'd be a week later? 11, but was it actually 10 because Ben Johnson got mm, removed that's kind good, of from yeah, that list? Good point. Um, Yes and no. I'm, I'm not stunned because I kind of always expected it to go this way. I thought Brian Callahan. I mean, someone asked me yesterday on Twitter, who do you think they're going to hire? And I said, Brian Callahan. Uh, pat myself on the back. I was the first one to report that they were interviewing him. And yep. he was the first known candidate at that time no one else knew the titans was interviewing i had him as the first known candidate so taking all that into account uh no i'm I'm not surprised that they hired him certainly not and i'm not surprised that they got it done uh here on monday evening yeah i think this is a really exciting direction for the franchise to be going in the wake of everything that happened whether you think firing Vrabel was the right move or the wrong move or the way they went about it or all the dysfunction in the front office between amy and ran and and Vrabel, I think that the way it all shook out is very positive for the direction of this team. I think moving into this offensive-driven league with a guy that will, as you reported on Twitter on Monday, a guy who will call his own plays, most likely yep. is what we're expecting. Um, so he, no matter what happens with the Titans' offensive coordinator position, and on this podcast, we're going to get into projected you know, potential coordinators for his staff and and a lot more on Callahan's background like like I said we're going to talk to Joe Goodberry and and really learn about what Callahan did with the Bengals and then you and I'll dive into our own thoughts and stuff that we've researched on Callahan's background but a guy that's always going to be calling the offensive plays you know the Sean McVay's the Kyle Shanahan's these guys that cycle through offensive coordinators their offense continues to have success because the guy at the top is leading the charge it's a lot different than when Mike Vrabel's cycling through offensive coordinators and Matt LaFleur leaves after one year and then you promote Art Smith who leaves after two years and then you promote Todd Downing who gets fired after two years and then you have uh Tim Kelly step in so Mike Vrabel went through four offensive coordinators and it was somewhat the same scheme and then Tim Kelly came and it was different and we kind of never really knew what the offense was going to look like Callahan's going to be the guy at the top. So you never have to worry again about offensive coordinators leaving to go become head coaches, which is going to happen if you have success. But at least you know that the guy in charge of the whole operation is your offense down. Exactly. You get that continuity. So I think that is a good place to be. It's, you know, we look around the league and you look at the, the, the coaches left in the conference championships and yeah, most of them call plays. Well, Dan Campbell doesn't call plays. John Harbaugh doesn't call plays, but Kyle Shanahan calls plays and Andy Reid calls plays for the Chiefs, obviously. So you have a, a mix there, but I think it's going to be really good direction for this franchise. Just a guy who seems to be on the cutting edge of the innovative side of things. And we're going to get into all that after we talk to Joe Goodberry. So enough of that for now. Justin, let's get to our guest here. We're bringing in Bengals expert Joe Goodberry, who has become sort of the go-to source for information on Brian Callahan if you follow the NFL space on Twitter. Joe, thanks for joining us today. How's it going? Everything's going great. Thanks for having me, boys. Let's dive right in here. What can you tell us about Brian Callahan? Because you sent a tweet out in re- in response to Josh Norris that was really sort of breaking down a lot about who Callahan is as a coach and as a person. What can you tell us about him having covered him for the past few years? Yeah, so if you're unfamiliar, like a completely blank slate here, he is the son of Bill Callahan, who is, I think, undoubtedly the best offensive line coach in the league, one of the uh, forefront coaches for wide zone schemes and he's with the Cleveland Browns right now. It's very successful. Uh, Ryan worked under John Fox with the Broncos when Peyton Manning was there. 
he went with John Gruden to the Raiders afterwards and from the Raiders to the Bengals. So a lot of West Coast wide zone, uh, even some McVay stuff, you know, that has been gelled together from Zach Taylor coming across from that tree. So it, that was always the plan uh, for the offense to look like that, to be West Coast. And it was the first year under Andy Dalton, but it was quickly um, they were, they started 0 and 8 that year, and and things need to change. They benched Andy Dalton on his birthday, and that's a Bengals little trivia thing. And <laughs> uh, and they had, they proceeded to tank the rest of the year or most of it in order to get the first pick, which ended up being Joe Burrow. And that was the next year was the COVID year and a truncated off season. They had to absorb as much of the LSU playbook as possible. Uh, so they did that. That was a huge thing of like let's get these guys comfortable. Let's make sure we know Burrow can start day one and run this offense. So it, they had to they had to change, and they had to make a big change at that point, um, and they did. And then they found early success. Honestly, it would have been okay. They were on their way to, to scoring more points with Burrow his rookie year before Burrow's knee got taken out, and it, it was very reminiscent. They were running a lot of staple concepts from LSU at that point, which I found very interesting. And it, it, that was our first sign that this was going to be, as a team, they're like this. We talked about, the, about this when we've done shows together, Bengals versus Titans, where we're like, hey, Lou Anarumo and this defense, they can be whatever they need to be any week. You know, The offense was very similar. And uh, Brian Callen was never the play caller. He has done some preseason games and things like that. But it's a, it's a different system in Cincinnati where Zach Taylor is the play caller, but Brian Callahan as the offensive coordinator is the coordinator, the manager of the offense, if you will. He is overseeing what the offense is about, what the playbook looks like, what the design looks like, what the scheme looks like, how you teach it to each individual position and players, developing, drafting on that side of the ball, uh, working with his, his coaches underneath him, who all also have a part in play calling and design and scheming. Uh, for example, the quarterback's coach, Dan Pitcher, is the third downs guy, so he brings in packages and ideas for a third down. Hmm. Uh, Troy Walters is the red zone, who's the wide receiver coach. And then Frank Pollock, who's the offensive line and run game coordinator, it all works together together underneath Brian Callahan and then filters into Zach Taylor's play calls on Sunday. So they're all in his ear on the headset during the game. Oh, it's third down. This is my, you know, they're, they, we should run this here. Remember, we worked on this. We've talked about this. We prepared for this. Um, so it's it, it to me, if I was looking for a head coach, I think a lot of people say always are wondering, like, are you going to bring this offensive system? Are you going to call plays for us? I think the allure of Callahan is that he has managed a whole group without being the one calling plays. A lot of coaches are like that, right? Uh, Dan Campbell for the Lions, I think. Well, he's more rah-rah Campbell is. <laughs> I think, you know, being a manager and letting your assistants and coordinators do their jobs, there's a lot of allure to that, to that and managing that. And I don't want to go too long here. You know, I feel like we're only halfway through the story uh, in this answer, but they have continued to evolve from game to game through stretches of seasons that we can get into more details uh, with that would probably get people really excited. Yeah. Yeah, Joe, I'm, I'm curious about asking for a specific example of how you've seen him sort of evolve the offense to fit the personnel, right? Maybe identify what a weakness is and say, this isn't working the way we wanted it to. So how can we change this to a strength? Because that that's what excites me about him. In all honesty, because we've seen some coaches come through here. This is not a shot at Mike Vrabel, but certainly Ken Wisenhunt was one who came in and that team didn't have a lot of talent. But he said, this is my scheme. We're running it. I don't care if I'm batting my head into a wall. Like, this is what I believe in. This is what's worked for me elsewhere. This is what this team has to do. We've seen that backfire in a major way in Nashville in the past. So that's, I think, what excites me the most is his ability to evolve. Maybe give us a specific example. Yeah, so if, if, if anyone asks you what are they going to run, they're going to run whatever is designed for their players that they've drafted and put on the team. They're going to design it for them and put them in the right position. And I'm going to start with 2020 with Joe Burrow's rookie year. Obviously, we talked about absorbing the LSU playbook. But also, Joe Burrow in this offense was the worst deep passing offense in the league that year. They couldn't hit a deep ball to save their life over 20 yards. Joe Burrow gets his knee taken out. They go into 2021. And we're like, all right, uh, you know, where's Burrow going to be week one? Our defense is going to respect the deep ball. And clearly they did not because they're like, prove that you can throw a, a, a pass over our heads. And the Bengals just drafted Jamar Chase, 
who Brian Callahan was a big proponent of there in the, in the Chase versus Sewell debate. So, uh, you know, that might be worth something. Let's, uh, so let's then, put a pin in that, and I'm going to ask you more about that in a second. <laughs> uh, okay. And then so when we uh, we get to that week one, and Burrow's kind of, you know, not 100% yet, and he's got some things he's got to get through in, that, in the first maybe month or so, it seemed like. They were under center. They're running wide zone. They're like, we're going to lean on Joe Mixon and do what we have to do. And they were still a very heavy wide zone team. We're going to remember that for when we get to 2022. Uh, So they became in 2021 the best deep ball team in the entire league with Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow. Complete flip of the script from 2020. Uh, It kept evolving throughout the year of who they were going to be. You could see it was okay, Burrow's getting more comfortable and empty and spreading it out. He can move more in the pocket again, and the, the, the design of the offense changed, and they went less reliant on the run game and more and put it more on Burrow and Chase and Higgins and Boyd and their shoulders and let them do what they uh, were supposed to do. The Bengals got to the Super Bowl that year. They lost. That offensive line was absolutely dreadful. Only one player remained from that starting five. That was Jonah Williams, who's a free agent now, if you guys are looking for a guy. Um, yeah, and, and so uh, you go to 2022, this is supposed to be uh, Burrow's healthy year. He has an appendectomy first week of camp, I think it was. The Bengals again, so now they have to come out, and they're under center. They're running uh, wide zone under center, but they had a, a very distinct issue. When they're under center, they're running the ball or going play action. When they're in shotgun, they're passing, and it was like 90-10 on both sides, and they struggled the first four weeks of the year, and what they did is they said at that point, we are scrapping the under center. We're going 99% shotgun for the rest of the year because that stuff was working for them. They ended up being the number one efficiency team running out of, out of shotgun for the rest of the year. Also, because teams are now like, you're such an explosive over-the-top passing offense, we're going to play coverage and, and shell coverage, and we're not going to let you do a thing over the top. We're not going to let Jamar Chase and T. Higgins dunk on us. We're going to play cover two shells throughout. And the Bengals struggled that first month with this because they weren't a great running team from under center, so they had that was one of the other reasons why they scrap it completely. They ended up being at the end of the year now the number one team against cover two in EPA. So they wow. figured it out again on both sides. How do we become a much better running team? How do we become a much better passing team? Or else it's not going to work. Both of those years, 2021 and 22, they're four and four. I want to say at the halfway at the at the bye week point and ended up making a deep run, losing by three in the AFC championship game to the Chiefs, who ultimately won the Super Bowl last year again. Offensive line was beat at that point. Only two guys remained from the starting lineup at from that last game uh, because of injuries. So they always found a way to change and evolve and figure out what they could do more of. This year was supposed to be more play action, more RPO games, and then Joe Burrow hurt his calf in camp and then ultimately hurt his wrist. And for that, one last change in the offense was the offense can't be the same with Jake Browning as it was with Joe Burrow, right? It's just not the same caliber of player. I think the work with Jake Browning is what got Dan, Brian Callahan another, uh, you know, uh, interest around the league, but also Dan Pitcher, their quarterbacks coach, why he's going on offensive coordinator interviews now. Mm. They completely changed it. They went from being the worst screen team of the last three years to a highly efficient and explosive screen team with Jake Browning, completely changing what they're doing. More play action, more RPOs, more half-field reads, split reads, one-two reads, get it out as quick as possible. And it worked for Jake Browning and they got solid production out of a guy that really nobody wanted or really felt very highly about. Yeah. It's interesting. The the shift to like a quick passing early down passing offense is something that I noticed watching, you know, just when Jake Browning came into the game and trying to help his young quarterback by putting him in, by keeping him out of obvious passing situations out of those third and longs by using those early down passes and I think everything you're talking about just shows how like adaptable and flexible Callahan can be, which is a huge, you know, important trait for a head coach to be, to be able to deal with all the things that other teams are going to throw at you, injuries are going to throw at you, and just the adversity you face in the league. On that note, the Bengals notoriously, since basically Joe Burrow was drafted, have not been great at protecting him. But the offense has not really suffered that much compared to some teams like the Titans who... You know, the, the pass protection in, we've seen in Nashville the last few years has just been so bad, it's hamstrung the entire offense. What about Brian Callahan's offense is able to mitigate some of that, you know, inability to to block necessarily well, but still be able to be a productive offense? So there's two things there. Number one, the Bengals, it's fair to say they had more talent on offense than the Titans do. You know, similar bad offensive lines, but when you got Joe Burrow and he can process as well and as quick as quickly as he can, it 
it helps out a lot. He gets the ball out lightning fast, and the you, the offensive line's still getting beat, but it's just not affecting him because the ball's already out, right? Right. And then when you can get it out to Chase and Higgins and Boyd and yada yada yada, that's those are advantages. But so what are the Bengals' offense? What what do they do in order to help them have those answers on every play? That's it. They build in answers for every single coverage you can roll at them. It, whether it's you're changing it pre-snap, post-snap and going from a middle field open to a middle field close, whatever it is, they may on one side have something to beat cover to. On the other side, they have something to beat uh, middle field close, and they'll have concepts, high-low concepts, or, or concepts that uh, feed off each other on different sides. So as Burrow takes a snap, okay, they're rotating the middle field close. Let me turn to where I need to go. Bang, it's open. And they have someone open on every single play if you read it correctly. So I would say if Levis can process and do all of those things, that's why the offensive line never really affected them as much as it. Now, when they got to play better teams and got to the playoffs, we saw it against the Titans. What was it? Nine sacks in that playoff game. <laughs> it was tough. You know, like it was, you're playing against the better scheming uh, teams in the league that were trying to take away your answers and trying to make you go to your second and third answer, which with a bad offensive line, I don't have the time to do that made things really dicey. So it worked getting you as far as you could. Uh, we all, we say in Cincinnati that if the line was better. They would probably have a Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah, and on that subject of pass protection and ha- you know having a better offensive line, you mentioned earlier Callahan was a big proponent of Jamar Chase over Panay Sewell, which was a pretty infamous debate amongst you know draft Twitter back when the Bengals held that fifth overall pick. Titans in a similar position this year with the seventh overall pick. There's a lot of expectation that Joe Alt or and or Ola Fashanu could be on the board there, the top two left tackles. Marvin Harrison Jr., not likely to make it, but Malik Neighbors has been talked about as, you know, in any other draft class, he'd be wide receiver one. Do you think oh, yeah. there's a similar debate to be had here between the for the Titans going left tackle versus game-breaking wide receiver? Do you think, Brian, I mean, they're both LSU receivers, but that doesn't make Neighbors on the same level as Jamar Chase. Was there something about Chase being just that good of a prospect? Or is it more about Callahan's philosophy, do you think, that they went with a pass catcher over a blocker because I mean we've been this clip has been circulating Titans Twitter since last night of Brian Callahan last training camp talking about the importance of the passing game and teams investing in quarterbacks and pass catchers. Do you think that there's something to be said that maybe the Titans would forego that tackle at you know at seven overall, especially if they have a chance to bring in Bill Callahan from the Browns and someone that they would be confident can coach up maybe less talented offensive linemen? and go with a wide receiver there because that's what Brian Callahan thinks you need to win in the NFL today. What do you think? The, do you think he looks back and says, man, if we had Penny Sewell, we would have won the Super Bowl? Or do you think no. that he's he's happy with the decision? and Wouldn't would have Jamar Chase, yeah. yeah. Well, right. yeah. And, and Chase was open on that final play where Quentin Spain got beat by Donald. They had a go ball, and Chase beats Ramsey. Ramsey's eating dirt, if you remember that, yeah. and Chase is running down the side. Do. Uh, another split second, and that's a touchdown. But – um. So for the one thing that's different with the Bengals and some other organizations do this, it varies probably organization to organization, but the Bengals have the smallest scouting staff in the entire NFL. They've been known for that for a long time. They rely on their coaches to do a lot of the work. The season ends and it's right into the draft work and free agency and scouting. Who do you guys want for your scheme, right? Uh, so they, they do a lot of it and they have a lot of opinions and they're they're ready to go when April comes. Like these guys know these players uh, in and out. And and it's a good thing. It's helped them draft very well and, and get guys that fit their scheme because, the, you know, these coaches are doing a lot of the legwork. Uh, so I, if I remember correctly that year uh, and Callahan was, you know, he, again, they, they're seeing things through the quarterback's eyes. The Bengals built this offense to to all be quarterbacks, coaches or former quarterbacks, coaches. So they would see it through them. And of course, Joe, Joe Burrow is going to want Jamar Chase. But I do remember him talking about the importance of having weapons and building around your quarterback that way. And I remember the discussion was more about um, one offensive lineman does not fix your five man offensive line, right? You can be, have a really great left tackle and that does nothing because they're going to beat your left guard center, right guard, right tackle. So it's, you're only as good as your weakest offensive lineman. Uh, And if you have multiple areas of issue, you're it's going to, you'll get better, but does it fix it? No, it does not. But adding an alpha number one wide receiver everything changes on your offense and and how you call plays, how you design plays, how it affects your number two and number three receiver, how it affects your tight end. I just feel like that was a much more impact for the overall team, Mm -hmm. not just year one, which it was. Jamar Chase had a fantastic rookie season, how it impacted them moving forward and how they designed stuff. So I, 
you know, it's probably case by case basis, but I would not be surprised if if he felt receiver over one left tackle or whatever position it is. Graver, I want to add right now, and I think Joe will probably agree with me. Um, I, I think we have to take into account that that situation was extremely unique as well, right? You're talking about getting a guy that was Joe Burrow's number one right. receiver in college, true. right? Yeah, like true. we're not talking. And in my opinion, and I people hate this word, I'm going to use it anyway. And I, I don't think Joe will disagree. I love, like, I thought Jamar Chase was generational. Like, I'm oh, going to yeah. use that word because I thought, like, I had a really hard time throughout the pre-draft process poking holes in his game. Like he was an unbelievable prospect. You you pair that with the chemistry that he already had with your franchise quarterback, extremely unique situation. So I don't think it's going to be the same thing here in Tennessee, right? Will Levis did not play with Malik neighbors. And as much as I love Malik neighbors, it's maybe a different conversation if we're talking about Marvin Harrison Jr., another generational prospect versus a Joe Alter and Olu Fashanu. So I'm going to call my shot right now, Graver, and say Titans fans are going to overvalue that. They're going to overthink that situation. I think the Titans still go tackle at seven. Yeah, I think it's very possible, but it'll be an interesting debate, much like the one Bengals fans had leading up to that draft. Um, Joe, I want to ask you a little bit about how you got to know Brian Callahan and what you can tell us about him as a person. You mentioned earlier um, when you started talking that he's a great teacher I think that's one of the most important things for a head coach to be is to be able to not just have a scheme and and be able to have the answers, but to be able to teach that to his players and get the most out of them. What can you tell us about getting to know Brian Callahan, you know, away from the the press conferences and the practice field? Yeah, so I don't cover the team. I'm not there every day, you know, and I don't cover them in a traditional sense, right? Uh, With uh, the guys that are there every day and get a chance to talk to the coaches and players and yada, yada. But uh, through my presence on Twitter, he found me, and which was awesome. And that doesn't happen all the time, as you guys know. Uh, it does happen sometimes, but Brian Kalen was awesome about it. Reached out and wasn't to talk about football, to talk about <laughs> other things in life and, and you know, other interests, which is cool. And, uh, you know, so we built a relationship that way a little bit. And then he was – we asked if I was hosting Locked on Bengals podcast at the time. Me and my co-host were like, hey, you want to come on and talk? Like, not sure. I miss offense coordinators. And he was – yes. And he became – a reoccurring guest for them, even after I left uh, for the last few years and always came on. And there, you guys will probably get a lot out of it. If you go watch those videos, uh, bringing them on before the draft to talk about individual prospects, you will find out how honest and thoughtful he is when talking about this stuff. Um, he's watched film with us before, and he's gone back and cut up clips of things we've asked about, plays we've asked about, uh, concepts. Why aren't you doing this? Why don't you guys do this? What happens here? Why do you get, why does, what's the read here? What's the protection here? He is always there to correct and not in a bad way, a helpful way. Uh, if you're going to you know, be sharing the information, he wants you to do it the right way, the correct <laughs> way. And not, you know, who doesn't, right? That's instead of, of shunning you, he wants to teach you. He wants to show you why uh, with clips and with time and with with honesty and earnest uh, uh, attention. And, you know, he was just honestly a, a really fun guy and a, a cool person to have on that team. And to be as open as he was, it was cool. So I, I urge everyone to go back and watch those podcasts because you're going to probably some players on the Titans that he probably talked about at some point in those uh, in the draft process. And he is giving pretty honest answers uh, about those players. I think one of the locked on Bengals hosts now, Jake, I think he actually cut up a clip of him talking about Peter Skaronsky before nice. last year's draft, calling him the best lineman in the draft, but he's a guard, not a tackle, oh. which was sort of on point with our assessment. And, and the time I mean, Titans have the same assessment. They're playing him at guard, not tackle. So uh, that was one that was circulating Twitter yesterday was him talking about Peter Skaronsky. Nice. I remember talking about Ty J Spears uh, also, and uh, having injury concerns as we all did, or else Spears probably goes in round two, but, uh, and what a, what a rookie year he had. So I, I'm sure he's excited about that. All right. Joe, we really appreciate all your time here and insight into the lowdown on Brian Callahan. Thank you for joining us today. Um, anything we can do for you, you let us know. We appreciate you coming on. Yeah, maybe if we uh, get a Titans player or uh, uh, you know a free agent on the Bengals, then maybe we'll we'll trade information then. Yeah, do a little. Well, I was gonna say, Joe, who's become a very good friend of this pod, as our loyal listeners know. I think we'll see you in a couple months, Joe, because I think we're doing Bengals Titans again this year. It's on the schedule in Nashville, I think, for a second straight year. Um, That'll be fun because that'll be Brian Callahan versus Zach Taylor, of course, for the first time. So uh, we'll see you in a couple months for the preview show.
Yeah, and I bet a lot of fans are probably saying, well, we'll talk to Joe in a couple months when they sign T. Higgins. But I do not expect T. Higgins to be a free agent. No. I expect him to be tagged. So We didn't even ask you about it right. because we're smarter than that. <laughs> guys, I was going to say you guys are smart. <laughs> it's very <laughs> obvious that they're going to take – maybe 2025. We'll see yeah. right when the time comes. But for now, I thought, why wouldn't they tag him and keep him another year and take another shot at a Super Bowl run? That's exactly what they should do. It's exactly what they're going to do. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, guys. All right. Thanks again to Joe Goodberry. Really appreciate his time. Learned a lot about Callahan there. It's crazy to think that he just reached out to Joe on Twitter and then became a recurring guest on their podcast. Justin, I have an assignment for you. (laughs) (laughs) Wouldn't that be something? Um, No, thanks to Joe as always. Such valuable insight there. I want to comment on something you said a little earlier because I I, I didn't get a chance to, but uh, you know, you talked about what, how you feel about the Vrabel thing, and we're going to move on from that, obviously, because it's, it's a new era now. But I agree, and I'm not going to change my tune now in terms of I still have some questions about how that whole dismissal went down, the decision-making process. But I will say that I think hiring Brian Callahan on paper um, was the best decision, right, that Amy Adams-Strunk could have made. And I think it's it sort of fits the bill of what she said she's looking for, right? Innovation, creative, creativity, excuse me, collaboration. This is a, a 39-year-old coach um, who just completed his 15th year coaching in the league. That's crazy to think about. Yeah. He is someone that's very open-minded and adaptable, as Joe Goodberry just explained. But I expect that's not only true on the field, that's true off the field as well. And I think it speaks to the relationship that he could potentially have with Rand Carthon as general manager. And you know, we talk about him running uh, that West Coast offense, potentially, if he feels that's what fits the Titans players best right. um, and, and whatnot. But I, I also think of Rand Carthon, who saw that Kyle Shanahan offense be operated in San Francisco, right? And probably has a very high opinion of it and is used to looking for players that fit that system, right? right? And then I marry that to Will Levis working under Liam Cohen, who again is an extension an olive branch of that same system at Kentucky when Will Levis had his best year for the Wildcats, right? right. That one year that Cohen was there, I think 2021, uh, it was uh, uh, Will's sec- second last year in college, second yeah. last year in college, I yeah. believe, if I'm recalling correctly. So all of that tells me that there's sort of the building blocks are in place for Brian to comfortably install, even though he's multiple, as we just heard, the building blocks are there for him to install the offense that he probably most believes in, right? The concepts that he is most familiar with throughout his uh, you know illustrious career as a coaching assistant under his dad yeah. like Joe said who's a big proponent of that west coast wide zone system and then if his dad comes in and, and coach here and becomes the o-line coach certainly you're, you're, you're doubling down um, on those concepts and look the titans offense looks very different but throughout the years from, from a personnel perspective that is right Corey davis aj brown these guys are no longer here but throughout the years they've kind of gone gone out and tried to get these players, right, that fit that system. And there are um, some assistants on staff who it wouldn't shock me if they're retained who are well-versed in the system. I mean, offensively, Charles London and Justin Alton are two that come to mind for me immediately, right? I think Mike Vrabel went and got out. London had worked in Atlanta under a similar uh, system. Justin Alton had worked in Denver and I think Green Bay under Matt LaFleur, Uh, At one point, and then under Matt LaFleur, Disciple in Denver, right? So Mm -hmm. uh, there are so many pieces in place, I think, for Brian Callahan to install the offense he's most comfortable with. I expect him to be very innovative, creative, and collaborate with Rand Carthon. And I think he'll tailor his offense um, to Will Levis, which just so happens to fit those concepts very well. Yeah, you brought up the staff there. I want to come back to that in a second as we sort of, you know, we're just going to theorize about who. Callahan might bring in. But before we get there, I want to talk a little bit about some of the stuff that I've dug in on. We didn't ask Joe specifically about this because, you know, since the announcement was made on Monday night, and as we record this on Tuesday morning, technically the Titans have not announced it yet. I haven't seen Rob on Broadway's confirmation tweet either yet, so we don't (laughs) know 100%. Just kidding. We know this is happening. It's been reported by all the major people. They're probably just hammering out the final details before they send the tweet out on Titans Twitter. And by the time you listen to this podcast, it may already be officially official. But Since it happened, I've just been looking at, you know, articles written about Callahan in The Athletic by Dan Pompey last year and all the press conferences and interviews he's given, you know, as part of Bengals uh, to Bengals media as part of that coaching staff. And one of the things that stuck out, Mike Herndon tweeted out a clip of this and 
someone else, forgive me for forgetting, tweeted out a clip from this one press conference he gave right before training camp last year talking about there were two big things that came out of this one that I want to bring up, talking about EPA and analytics and another one that. and another one talking about the passing game. So let's first start with the analytics side. They asked him, you know, are you into analytics and what do you use to measure a good, you know, team and and whatever and Callahan went into this, you know, long answer about how analytics are huge and they have to, you know, you have to look at them and what are the most important analytics to use. And he talked about EPA and how generally EPA, the teams that are at the top of the EPA, you know, that bears out as those teams usually have the best offense. He talked about DVOA being a marker of, you know, success, but not necessarily the end all be all one, which is sort of how we kind of all feel too. (laughs) And um, just this sense that how can we improve our EPA in certain situations? Like what can we do better to make our EPA better, which means we have a better offense looking at things from this analytics side. And I think we saw some of this play out in the field this past season, especially with like Jake Browning coming into play is the early down pass rate is something that, you know, these younger innovative coaches that wouldn't necessarily be a Mike Vrabel thing to have this early down pass rate because it plays against, you know, expectation and against tendency and yada, yada, yada. But all these things that are sort of at the forefront of the new era of coaching and the guys that things that like Sean McVay and guys like that are doing to have success on the offensive side of the ball. And it's interesting hearing Brian Callahan say like some of these stats are just becoming, you know, big in the public like EPA, but we've, we've been using them for a long time. And Yes, we've had to educate ourselves along the way about, you know, some of the newer ones and what they all mean. But these have been in coaching circles longer than they've been in the public sphere, which I thought was really interesting. So getting a guy who is analytics driven, you know, it's not necessarily like he's going to make all his decisions based on a spreadsheet. But someone that incorporates that really into their philosophy, I think, is a huge step forward for this as a whole for the Titans as an organization. I agree, right? It's refreshing to hear him talk about a, a drop-back passing game and EPA and, and how important that all is. And, and Maybe this is neither here nor there, but it makes me feel even more so uh, that the Titans are moving on you know, from Derrick Henry this yeah. offseason, right? Because you look at Cincinnati, one of the one of the neg- – I mean, I don't want to call it a negative, but one of the complaints I'll say, Bengals uh, – and there's always someone that finds something to complain about, right? No one universally likes any coach. That's just the way it goes. It's like about the run game and how they would they would stick to the passing game. I mean, I think if you're a Titans fan and you've been wanting them to go in that direction for a while now, um, this is a really refreshing hire to you, right? Someone that's going to invest in Will Levis and and might want to field a pass-happy offense if things go well in the personnel department this offseason and they can upgrade um, the offensive line and get it to the place where they need it to be because I think Joe made a good, honest point, right? Like They were able to offset some of those things because you've got Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase and T. Higgins. Titans don't have that yet, right? Right. So as excited as we all are about this hire and please be excited. I'm very excited about it. I think they made the best hire they could make. Um, the Titans are going to have to go out and get some good players this off season too, right? That part of it hasn't changed, right? They've got to find multiple solutions on the offensive line. Uh, they've got to find at least one, maybe two solutions at receiver. And they got to find another solution at running back now to pair with Tajay Spears. So a lot of work still has to be done to get this offense to where it needs to be. But thankfully, they've got the resources to do so through cap space and, 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 and early premium draft capital. They've got the quarterback that they really like. And now they've got a head coach, right? That's extremely innovative and uh, possesses one of the most one of one of the br- most brilliant offensive minds in all of football. Yeah. And another, yeah, the other quote there that I was talking about, I want to read a specific one here. He said, the teams that win the most games are generally the teams that pass the ball the best. And he went on to say that we've seen that we've seen that teams are investing high picks and money in the wide receiver position and the quarterback position. Talked about how the Bengals have done that with T Higgins and Jamar Chase and obviously Joe Burrow. And then went on to say uh, that the run game can still, there are opportunities to exploit defenses in the run game because defenses are also putting all their resources into the passing game and into you know stopping the passing attack so that there's opportunities to you got to be able to run the ball well against you know certain looks and things like that so all in all it just feels like a very forward-thinking offense that you know the modern era the titans have never been a pass the ball to win kind of team they've been a pass the ball because they have to because they're trailing and they need to make some points up or make some time up where there's under Mike Malarkey and Mike Vrabel, and you can go back to Mike Munchak even. I think Ken Wisenhunt was a different story, but from Jeff Fisher to Mike Munchak to Mike Malarkey to Mike Vrabel, they wanted to run the ball 
first and they sort of had this backwards belief that like if you run the ball better or more times you win the game as opposed to you are running the ball because you're winning the game not you're not running the, you're not winning the game because you run the ball you're running the ball because you're winning sort of philosophy there um i think brian callahan is going to be huge in that regard i also want to talk about his philosophy on pass protection and some of the stuff he said and you know quotes from peyton manning this is for this is from dan pompey's article in the athletic august 30th 2022 talking about picking up blitzes talking about pass protection and obviously the titans have had huge issues in pass protection Brian Callahan, son of offensive line guru Bill Callahan, obviously knows a thing or two. This is uh, something Callahan said. Um, The protection plan is one of the things most deeply ingrained in me from my time with Peyton. I spent hours combing through tape for Peyton, finding all the blitzes, drawing them up, presenting them to him. He always wanted answers. What calls to make to get the blitz blocked? What plays to check to? How to make a team pay for blitzing him? Now I always want to give Joe as many answers as he needs for what he might encounter. The Titans have been pretty bad against pressure, against the blitz. They, they, They can't block a stunt to save their lives. I think that's all going to change here. Callahan's going to come in and say, look, we need to have answers in protection. Even if the players aren't the best pass blockers in the league, even if we don't have all pro offensive linemen in every position, the Bengals certainly don't. We talked to Joe about this a few minutes ago, but being able to have answers for the, you know, every look the defense is going to throw at you, something he learned from Peyton Manning. I think that is another huge thing to look forward to as a Titans fan with this new offense that's coming. Oh, there's no doubt about it. Uh, I'm excited for Brian to hit the ground running here. I'm excited to watch them get the process started. Uh, certainly, even March, I think, can arrive soon enough. Even right. February, where they can start re-signing some of their own players. Coordinator but- hiring announcements can't come soon enough. <laughs> oh, you want to get into that? You want to make some Let's predictions? Let's do it. Let's get I mean, into the staff. I did quite a bit of research throughout the process. And look, I'm going to do some dot connecting. But you know what? Nine times out of ten, dot connecting leads you to who a coach is going to hire on his staff, right? More often than not, all coaches do it. Not one of them doesn't do it. Not one of them doesn't do it, right? So, yeah. and luckily, if you uh, like it, don't like it, doesn't matter. But luckily, Brian Callahan has worked with a lot of terrific coaches throughout his time in the league, going back to the Denver days, certainly here in Cincinnati. Uh, he, uh, of course, being the son of Bill Callahan, he's been exposed to so many incredible coaches. Uh, he's really, really done some sp- uh, outstanding, outstanding work with with these staffs. Would you like Would you like me to give you some of my predictions? Yeah, let's start with one that may be really obvious and that many Titans fans are connecting, and then we'll go to the predictions because there's no report on this quite yet, but Mary Kay Cabot has come out, and she's a Browns beat writer, has said that she thinks the Browns would let Brian uh, Brian Callahan's father, Bill Callahan, who's currently the O-line coach for the Browns, they, they would let him leave to come coach the offensive line and work with his son in Tennessee. Now, the Browns could block the move because it's a lateral move unless the Titans make Bill Callahan their offensive coordinator with play-calling duties, which he's not going to have. The Browns would be able to block this potential move. The assistant head coach title that could be slapped on, none of that stuff matters. you got to get a real legitimate promotion for the Browns to be unable to block this request. So if the Titans do move forward trying to hire Bill Callahan, Mary Kay Cabot says she thinks that the Browns would allow it. And then there's a Browns reporter, Mo Egger, who said, and I quote, My understanding is that Brian Callahan is going to bring his dad, Bill Callahan, with him to Tennessee. This was said on the Ramon, Kayla, and Will show this uh, Tuesday morning. So it looks like all signs are pointing to Bill Callahan becoming the next offensive line coach of the Titans. Before we go through the rest of the potential staff, Justin, what does this mean for Tennessee, a team that has struggled to develop offensive linemen, that has struggled to protect their quarterback over the last few seasons? What can it mean getting a good offensive line coach in the building? Well, it's an extremely exciting hire if it happens. And and I, I'd like to think, you know, the Cleveland Browns, there's a human being element at play here, right? Like you would certainly like to think someone like Bill Callahan, who demands and has earned, frankly, so much respect around the league, is going to be able to go to the decision makers in Cleveland, whether that's Andrew Barry, whether that's way up the ladder to the owner of Jimmy and, Jimmy and D. Haslam, I believe. Uh, and say, look, I, I want to go work for my son. Right? This is a, a lifelong dream that we have a chance to achieve here together. Uh, it'd be pretty shitty, right? <laughs> if Cleveland said, "No, we understand, but no, you're, you know, you're, 
you have a contractual obligation here to us and we're not letting you go. So I, I do imagine that uh, they would allow it to happen and he is going to come here to Tennessee because, again, don't underestimate the human being factor here at play, especially for someone that is so well-respected around the league like Bill Callahan does. Uh, when I think of that potential hire, uh, number one, I want to get this out of the way quickly and I, I'm not throwing a wet blanket on it. If you expect Bill Callahan to come here and turn Nicholas Petit Friere into an all pro left tackle next season. Why not? You got another thing coming. Cause it's gotta be the baseline <laughs> traits, right. In order for you to get there and they're still going to have to, let me, let me, let me throw another name at you. Okay. How about a guy like Jalen Duncan, who has all the tools, all the traits was a projected first or second round pick in December of last year before, or last last year before, you know, slipping all the way to the sixth round for the Titans is he a guy that, you you know, Bill Callahan gets his hands on him, can mold him into at least an above average level starter at, say, the right tackle position? And before well, you answer, look at what the Browns did this year. The Browns lost a starter, I think, at every position on the offensive line at some point this eventually season. Eventually bit him in the ass, though. It eventually did, but they had these guys that nobody had heard of. Jack Conklin tore his ACL, so they had a, a right tackle coming off the bench. And for the most part, were pretty successful protecting the passer they weren't with like, a statue quarterback and joe Flacco. exactly so i'm I, not saying that he's going to turn jalen duncan or nicholas petit Frere into all pro level players but i am i am thinking that there's a chance here that if you're the titans you can say we might be able to have success with some of the guys we have we don't need to do as thorough of a rebuild along the line if we get bill callahan as we would if we hired jason who tailing back or something like that you know what i mean <laughs> I um I get what you're saying. I just I don't think they can take many chances with that, right? I think they still got to be aggressive when it comes to upgrading the talent on the offensive line. I will say with Jalen Duncan, I think that's a guy that could take a step forward under Bill Callahan because he's got a lot of the baseline traits and natural progression, right? A year one player going into year two. Now you got a really good offensive line coach getting his hands on him. Look, I say this all the time. I'm going to say it again. I know so many offensive linemen. I I I. I had a tape session a couple weeks ago with an outstanding former offensive lineman. Uh, sink or swim that first year, it's tough, man. That, that first year is really hard. So naturally, you know, guys get better as they go on. Jalen Duncan will get better. You get a, a great, a, a, a legendary O-line coach in there. I do expect him to take some steps forward. Now, whether that's uh, as a, a high-level swing player or a lower to mid-tier starting right tackle, I don't know, right? We'll, we'll see what the ceiling is there. What excites me more about the hiring of someone like Bill Callahan, it's not the Nicholas petit Friers and the Dylan Radences. It's the drafting Joe Alter, Olu Fashanu at seven overall, an elite prospect, knowing that he's playing next to Peter Skaronsky at left guard. All of a sudden, I see a guy like Bill Callahan, and I think that could quickly be a dominant left side of the mm -hmm. line, right? Mm -hmm. Dominant. And then, you know, you sign someone like a Mike Onwenu in free agency, and now you've got a very good above average right tackle. So you're telling me this offensive line, you can go out and get Joe Alt get Bill Callahan to coach and get a guy like Michael on when in free agency. Now we're talking about an offensive line that can be significantly better next season. Heck you want to sign Jonah Williams. I, I know he wanted to play left tackle once upon a time and that, that, that might still be a sticking point for him, but you want to get him to come here if he's willing to play right tackle or if he's willing to compete, uh, not, not compete. I think he is instant starter at right guard, for example, like yeah. that's something that you could do uh, and, and it would be exciting. Right. Yeah. And so there are a lot of possibilities here. I just want to pump the brakes on. Uh, they're going to be good with what they got. Not that anyone is saying that, but they still need to aggressively pursue upgrades across this offensive line. I don't care if Bill Callahan, Mike Munchak and Jesus Christ combined to coach them. <laughs> they need better players than they have right now. Right. They, yeah. they do. So uh, but very, very exciting development. I'm not underselling it at all. He is one of the greatest offensive line coaches of all time, and it would be a major, major victory for the Titans coaching staff to get him on board. Absolutely agree. So let's talk about who else they might bring on board. You have your list of predictions for both sides, offensive and defensive coordinator. There's also a report from Buck Rising, and I don't know how officially official he made this report and if I'm even allowed to say this, but this is our podcast and I say what I want, so I'm going to, <laughs> um, that Thomas Brown, who has done two interviews for the Titans head coaching job, could be tapped as Bill, uh, Brian Callahan's offensive coordinator here, a guy who also has a lot of experience in this Shanahan, West Coast, McVay offense, 
offensive style, a guy that was very highly regarded before this past season and then suffering through the disaster year that the Panthers just had. I think his stock, you know, in fans' eyes at least may have taken a hit. But if they are able to bring Thomas Brown in as offensive coordinator, that would be a huge win. I'm sure he's on your list of guys, but who are the potential offensive coordinators you have pegged for Brian Callahan? Yes, and I just want to make a quick comment about Thomas Brown. Uh, we, Amy, you know, Miss Amy Adams Strunk, of course, who's helped leading this search. Um, we've seen her do this before, right, with Mike Rabel and Matt Lafleur, where she's hired two coaches, or sorry, she interviewed two coaches and ended up hiring both of them. I wouldn't be shocked if the Titans, when they interviewed Thomas Brown, and I say this with all due respect, because I really liked him as a head coaching candidate. I did. I wouldn't have shocked me if they were also potentially vetting him for the offensive coordinator position. He's probably going to need one, need a new gig, right? I don't think he'll be staying in Carolina after they finalize the hiring of their head coach. No, Callahan and Brown have not crossed paths professionally. I mean, I'm sure they know each other, but you know what I mean. They haven't coached on the same staff, but obviously both of them worked um, under the same system, as you said, uh, you know, Zach Taylor, of course, working under Sean McVay in L.A. And then Brian Callahan sort of being tasked with helping him um, uh, install that offense in Cincinnati. Very similar, right? Because Thomas Brown worked under Sean McVay in Los Angeles. So that's the big connection there. And that's why I do expect them to hire Thomas Brown as the offensive coordinator. One guy who I don't think has been mentioned enough, it, probably because it's not a super sexy name to Titans fans, but if Brian Callahan is going to be calling plays anyway, right? Mm -hmm. It wouldn't shock me if you go with maybe someone that hasn't really called plays before, but is a veteran assistant coach. Someone he knows very well is Eric Studesville. He is currently the running back coach and assistant head coach for the Miami Dolphins. Okay. Mm -hmm. This is a 56 year old coach who has spent most of his time in the league coaching running backs, but guess what? He was on staff with Callahan in Denver in 2010 and he became the interim head coach down the stretch there in 2010 when they made a change, right? He was the running back coach, and then he was interim coach. How often does this happen? How respected is Eric Studesville that in 2011, the new Denver coach kept him on board, and he went back to coaching running backs for them, where he spent, he spent the next six seasons there coaching running backs, 2011 to 2016, six years with Brian Callahan in Denver, okay? 2010 to 2015, okay? This is a guy, and then what, what's he doing now, by the way? He's Mike McDaniel's assistant head coach, associate head coach in Miami. He has survived multiple coaching changes in mm -hmm. Miami. Not only did McDaniel keep him, he made him his associate head coach, right? And I guarantee you, Mike McDaniel would tell you himself what a terrific resource he was as a first-time head coach, right? And as a first-time play caller. Brian Callahan's going to be both of those things, right? A first-time head coach and a first-time play caller here in Tennessee. So if you're calling plays anyway, uh, I think there, you could do a great job getting someone like Eric on your staff who is an experienced coach, knows the system well, and has had a lot of respect in this league. I'll throw out a couple more names at you. Clint Kubiak, 49ers passing game coordinator. The, uh, the son of Gary Kubiak, of course. You know, uh, Clint will be somewhat familiar to Rand Carthon. Uh, of course, running a similar offense there in San Francisco. Uh, Bo Hardigree. New, uh, he's not going to be staying with the Raiders as the offensive coordinator. He was there with Josh McDaniels. Antonio Pierce is not keeping him. He coached together with Callahan in 2014. This is a guy that's got pedigree, worked for Bill Bilicek in 2021, right? Became a well-respected assistant there in New England. And again, both offensive assistants, him and Callahan, were with Denver in 2014. So those are the main names that come to mind for me. Uh, I look at Alex Van Pelt, the former Browns offensive coordinator, I think there's a chance there. You know, he worked with Bill Callahan this past year in Cleveland. So that's obviously interesting. Uh, Kevin Stefanski fired Van Pelt at the end of this mm -hmm. year. He's already interviewed for a couple of other offensive coordinator positions. He was the quarterback's coach in Cincinnati for two years when Brian Callahan was the offensive coordinator. So I think there's a pretty interesting connection there to both Callahan's so, father and son. So I'd be stunned if the offensive coordinator isn't someone I just made. Yeah. Um, there's one name you didn't mention there that I think a lot of Titans fans have been connecting dots to. Coached Will Levis in college. Liam Cohen. You don't see Liam Cohen coming to take the, this offensive coordinator job? I don't. No, I've poked around certain league sources and I'll, I'll, I'll leave it at that. I, I don't expect, you know, Brian Callahan, I'll say this. When you're going through the, the process of interviewing as a head coach, you're essentially asked to present your staff, yeah. right? And that's a big part of that process, right? A huge part of that process that, you know, you could interview great, right? And then you present a staff that doesn't excite Rand Carthon and Amy Adams Strunk. Uh, you might've just flunked the interview, right? So he's yeah. already presented uh, what a potential staff would look like and no, 
uh, from the league sources I've spoken to, I don't expect Liam Cohen to be on that list. Interesting. So that might make some Titans fans disappointed, but if they end up with Thomas Brown or anyone else on your list there, I think we will end up pretty happy. Let's talk about the defensive side of the ball. Now this, again, this is a lot of dot connecting because we frankly don't know what Brian Callahan thinks about defensive philosophy because he's an offensive guy. We don't know if he would be, you know, Mike Vrabel seemed to be, yes, he had a defensive background, but he was like, I'm going to have my hand in every part of the team, offense, defense, and special teams. We don't know if Brian Callahan's going to be that kind of coach where he's like, look, I coordinate against defenses, so I know I'm going to have something to say about how we're going to run our defense. Or if he's going to be like, look, I'm an offensive guy. I'm going to step back and let my defensive coordinator coordinate the defense. But and there's with, no wrong way to do it. Agreed. There, yeah. We I mean, saw Sean McVay. Remember when he came in and he was like, you know what? I'm hiring Wade Phillips. Yeah. He's twice my age. He's a defensive guru. I'm a first-time head coach. Wade Phillips was very instrumental, right, and very helpful to Sean McVay throughout those early years as a first-time head coach. So he could go that route. Um, I think the, one of the most intriguing hires he could make, in my opinion, and I wouldn't be surprised if he does, one that would weaken a division rival on top of it, is Houston Texans defensive pass game coordinator, Corey Unlin. There mm-hmm. are a lot of ties here, okay? Number one, uh, Unlin and Callahan, they worked together for three years in Denver, 2012 to 2014, knows him well. Well, what about the front office connection? Unlin then went to San Francisco and worked with Rand Carthon, I mean, worked with Rand Carthon was in the front office, but worked on that coaching staff for two years, 2021 and 2022, while Rand Carthon was there. He was Kyle Shanahan's pass game specialist and secondary coach. Then... He follows the Miko Ryans to Houston this past year, helped the Texans win the AFC South. Uh, also, another guy, by the way, I mentioned Bo Hardegree earlier on the other side of the ball, um, worked under Bill Belichick in tw- 2004. Mm-hmm. So a lot of pedigree here with, with Corey Unlin. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that name right, but I think I am. <laughs> uh, Texans defensive passing game coordinator, direct ties to Brian Callahan and uh, Rand Carthon. That one really excites me. Uh, if he wants to bring someone with him, James Betker, is currently the Cincinnati Bengals linebackers coach. Mike Vrabel, I believe, actually interviewed him in 2018 for the mm, defensive coordinator right. position in Tennessee after he took over. Betker has worked as a DC before. He's got experience, did it twice actually with the Cardinals and the Giants. Had a pretty good reputation once upon a time. You know, couldn't get a DC job last year. Went to coach linebackers in Cincinnati under Lou Anarumo. So, yeah, there's some interesting pedigree there. Uh, Don Wink Martindale is yeah, available. That's Left a name that's been thrown around. Yeah, I mean, he left his post as D.C. with the Giants a couple weeks ago, interviewed recently for the Jacksonville vacancy. They went in another direction, hired Ryan Nielsen. Uh, Callahan was just getting his start, I believe. He was a coaching assistant with the Broncos when Martin Dale was the D.C. Hmm. for the Broncos that year. So obvious connection there. And then I'll throw out a bonus at you. I mean, I want to call it a shot in the dark, but I did see it floated around Twitter. How about Jim Leonard, right? Former NFL safety um, that it quickly established a really good reputation for himself at Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know what's happened recently, but he spent this past year working as like a senior assistant for the University of Illinois, right? So not, I don't know if that was him trying to take a step back and maybe take a year off like like Jim Washburn did, right? Uh, Jim Washburn, like Jim Schwartz did, excuse me, once upon a time here recently. So I don't know if Leonard just needed a break. I'm a little surprised we haven't seen that trajectory for him. Because again, I mean, he—I think he turned down, if I'm remembering correctly, DC interest from the NFL a couple of years ago. Like this is a guy the league's been interested in for a very long time. Well, why do I bring him up? He actually played for the Broncos in 2012, still oh, when wow. Callahan was an offensive assistant for the Denver Broncos. So someone that uh, Callahan will know very well, uh, based on having to practice against him every day, having to prepare <laughs> an offense to practice against uh, him as a safety. Had his best years in Denver. Jim Leonard did as a player, I believe it was a second, second team, all pro one of those years in Denver. So uh, those are some of the names. I think, uh, I, you know, I think Corey Unlin will probably be a front runner, mm. but maybe he goes outside his coaching tree altogether. Callahan doesn't right. hire someone we're not expecting. So uh, I'm expecting the offensive coordinator hire to come from the list that I provided. We'll see if the DC one goes the same. If so, I'll be on here tooting my own horn saying I went two for two. <laughs> yeah, we'll see what happens with those coordinator hires. As we wrap this pod up here, we're getting pretty long, almost an hour. I want to say kudos to Amy Adamstrong, kudos to the Titans for identifying their guy and moving quickly to be yes. the first team to hire a head coach that wasn't promoting from within. The Raiders promoting Antonio Pierce. I think it's huge for the Titans here for what we're talking about now, building this staff, having Callahan in place, 
allows him to start making these calls. And, you know, Thomas Brown has some head coaching interviews aside from the Titans. So maybe he is going to wait and see how those go before deciding on anything. If, if, you know, he's even offered the job by Tennessee, but I think it's important that the Titans were able to move quickly and able to start setting up the staff for Callahan now. And, um, you know, like I said, at the beginning is, However you feel about Amy's decision to fire Mike Vrabel and how she went about it and whether it was rash or whatever, you got to give her credit for moving quickly through this process. Am I a little bit bummed they didn't ever get to bring Mike McDonald back for a second interview? A little bit. I really liked Mike McDonald. I think he's going to go on to be a great head coach. But I think if you're talking about like the two guys that have the best chance to succeed as head coaches from this hiring cycle... I'm going to pick Brian Callahan and Mike McDonald. A lot of people love Ben Johnson, of course. A lot of people are high on Bobby Slowick. Bobby Slowick only did it for one year in Houston. There are some concerns with how he called his offense, so I'm not necessarily disappointed the Titans didn't get Slowick, even though there was a report that they were very impressed with his interview. And Ben Johnson seemed like he never had interest in coming to Tennessee. They're like the one interview request that he got that he didn't make time for. I guess they were last on his priority list. And even so... We've mentioned our concerns with Ben Johnson. Yes, he's been coordinating a great offense in Detroit, but they also have a great offensive line. He's under the leadership of Dan Campbell, who we know is a phenomenal leader of men. Can Ben Johnson command the room at the same level that Dan Campbell is able to? So there's concerns there. I think Ben Johnson is a, a guru coordinator, but you know we've seen guru coordinators go on to flame out as horrible head coaches like like Brandon Staley, like Adam Gase. Like these guys happen. For, for reasons, you know, that are beyond their ability to scheme up an offense or a defense. So I think Brian Callahan has that pedigree, that NFL lineage with his dad and just the being around the game for so long, the respect of so many great quarterbacks in the league, from Peyton Manning to Matthew Stafford to Joe Burrow, that I think the Titans made a home run higher here. We're going to look back on this in a few years and be pretty happy with, with the process and the way it played out. I certainly hope so. I want to add one point that you didn't mention there. Um, you said shout out to Amy Adams Strunk. Let's give her an additional shout out for how she went about this process. Okay. Brian Callahan had two other in-person interviews scheduled after the Titans on Monday. She didn't let him get out of the building. Okay. If you don't think Amy Adams Strunk is a go-getter, okay, a no-nonsense, a no-nonsense shrewd businesswoman that closes a deal when she wants to close a deal. I mean, if you read the fantastic story on the athletic. His flight to Nashville got canceled from Cincinnati due to poor weather. Okay, mm-hmm. now that's a four-hour drive. I rem- in fact, even as a Canadian, I know that's a short drive because I've driven through Cincinnati on my way to Nashville uh, when I did the drive uh, of way, geez, when I was I think eighteen or nineteen years old, many, many, many years ago. I've made that drive. So uh, Talan was going to get in his car and drive to the interview. She sent the private jet to yep. go pick him up. In Cincinnati. So again, you want to talk about, I think she identified a guy. She wanted him there. She didn't let him get out of the building. I think, I can't even remember who the in-person interview is with. It doesn't matter, right? Because he's the head coach for the Tennessee Titans. Major tip of the cap to Amy Adams Strunk for meaning business when it came to getting the guy she wanted. Yeah, absolutely. So kudos to the Titans and uh, exciting new era begins. And I want to give one last message to Titans fans as we close this out. Remember the excitement. Be happy. And live in the moment because every single head coach ends with a fire. Every head coaching uh, tenure ends with a firing at the end of the day or or a respectful mutual parting ways, which is just a firing. But we're giving we respect you enough to Bill, let you Bill Belichick it. just left the New England. Bill Patriots. Belichick, the greatest head coach of all time, was not fired, but he was he was fired. He was shown the door and they said, we respect you enough for your for what you've yeah. done to be able to let you say you're stepping down. But let's be honest, he was fired. The Bills were unhappy with Sean McDermott throughout much of the season. Chiefs fans are unhappy with Andy Reid, for goodness sake. The Eagles were preparing for the conference championship and about to go to the Super Bowl this time last year. Now, Eagles fans want Nick Sirianni fired. He is coming back, it seems. But, like, things change quickly in in this league. And at the end of the day, every head coach makes mistakes. Every head coach makes dumb play calls at some point in their tenure. You're going to hate a play decisions. call at some point. I promise <laughs> You're you. You're going to get frustrated at some point, <laughs> as excited as you are. So just remember to live in the moment and be happy with what you have. And uh, at some point, Brian Callahan will be fired or step down from the Titans organization. Hopefully it's not for 24 years and he's won six Super Bowls by then. Yeah. But uh, it's not going to end pretty. So remember the good times and live in the moment and be happy. That's my message as we close out this podcast. Well, live um, in the moment, right? I don't want to end. I don't want to end on like a somber note because you should be excited 
about this head coach. You should be excited about what's out there on him. Uh, I'm sure you've all done a lot of digging. If you haven't, there, I, I, Joe mentioned terrific stuff on YouTube, terrific stuff on Twitter. Uh, this is a guy that gets it, right? He gets what today's NFL is all about, what NFL offenses are all about, and how they should be operating in today's league. And that part of it should definitely excite you, especially when you pair that with a sophomore quarterback that you believe is a franchise quarterback. Right. So that will do it for us. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks even more. If you're watching on YouTube, the Music City Audible podcast, remember to hit subscribe to the channel. We will be back soon to discuss updates with the coordinator search. And eventually when the staff is set, we will get into our free agency series. Should the Titans re-sign X? Should they bring back X? Should they go t- and Should talk they bring about back Andre Dillard? Everyone's uh, looking forward we'll to that. About that. Will they bring back Derrick Henry? That seems like a pretty big hot topic to discuss now that we know who the Titans head coach is. I will say before we close this out, Joe mentioned T. Higgins, probably not going to leave Cincinnati, right? Tyler Boyd, though. Tyler Boyd is a guy who's also a free agent who Brian Callahan talked about being a really good leader in the wide receiver room in Cincinnati and helping bring the young guys along. Titans could use, I mean, they have DeAndre Hopkins, but a veteran presence like Tyler Boyd to help some of the guys in the slot figure things out. I don't know. I'm just saying, just throwing it out there. I'll say this. I mean, we'll save it. I'll say this quickly. Um, if Tyler Boyd is the only thing they do at receiver this offseason, I'd be disappointed. Well, yes, of course. The, they need to do more than just add a, a slot guy. But, hey, something to keep an eye on. Anyway, follow Justin on Twitter at JustinM underscore NFL. Follow me at Titans Film Room. We will be back next week. Until then, y'all stay safe out there and tighten up. A Broadway sports media production.